Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. We lay out several proposals Governor Tony Evers will introduce in his state budget ahead of his big unveil next week to lawmakers. I have never, ever been more optimistic about America's future than I am today. Plus, President Biden visits Wisconsin touting his economic plans as he weighs a second term. And Republicans launch an audit to review the state's professional licensing agency that's faced criticism over licensing delays. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for February 10th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., next week, Governor Tony Evers will be unveiling his state budget proposal. And we've been getting kind of nuggets throughout the week of him teasing some certain proposals. Now, some of these we've already heard of, but some are also new. Let's first start with a conversation that's been going on through the Capitol for a very long time, which deals with shared revenue and increasing, allowing municipalities and counties to increase their sales tax. So the governor officially uh, proposed in news releases this week that he wants to dedicate 20 percent of future sales tax revenue to boost shared revenue by more than $576 million. He also would like to allow Milwaukee County to levy an additional 1% sales tax. Also, other counties could see a piece of that pie as well and can double their local sales tax. Like I just mentioned, we've heard about these ideas before, but now we're kind of getting the concrete details of what's going to be said in his speech on Wednesday. So let's start with what's probably not going to happen. Uh, the local sales taxes for all counties and doubling it to 1% and allowing every city with a population of 30,000 or more to impose a new sales tax, probably not going to fly with Republicans. They're not, real, I, they're not big on the idea of raising taxes, period. So that's going to be a tough sell. Milwaukee is unique. Milwaukee has a pension problem. They're likely going to get something. We'll talk about this later, but the question is what's the trade-off going to have to be for them? The shared revenue thing is interesting. We talked before this, I just floated for a while. The governor got behind it and said to the state, you know, kind of, it's called in the Capitol jacking an idea from somebody else. Republicans feel like the governor jacked their idea to do this. They've been working on it for a while. So the details are important, right? What is the money going to cover? So from the governor's office, we have three existing appropriations that we do right now, which are direct uh, city, our municipal and county aid. That's one chunk of money. There's already a backfilling of lost revenue due to exemptions to the personal property tax. It's not all the way gone yet, but there are exceptions to it. We've passed in years past. And there's an expenditure restraint program. Helps hold down property taxes. Your first chunk of the sales money would go toward those three existing things. Then you take this $576 million in additional revenue and start chopping it up. Half would go to, almost half, would go to public safety. This is a nod toward the argument from Republicans of we have to cover public safety costs. This is to assure them we're not just going to give counties and cities a blank check to do what they want to do, right? So you do that half to that first. Everybody's going to get money. There'll be minimum grants, you know, and then the rest goes to the normal formula that we have. Now, the questions are what Republicans require to do this. They are not, Robin Boss, Assembly Speaker, said after this announcement came out, we want to see reforms. I've heard talk of, for example, creating a pot in shared revenue that says if you do shared services, if you consolidate somehow, we will give you a little bit of a bonus. 
Now the challenge is going to be with that is they've looked at this before, locals, in a big place like Milwaukee County. Let's talk police services, all right? If you are Oak Creek, Franklin, Wabatosa, do you want to combine police departments with Milwaukee? I'm going to guess no, and the reason is if you're a police department, you put man hours, patrol hours, where there are the highest crime areas, right? Where the right. Mm-hmm. Tosa, Oak Creek are going to say, well, we're going to lose patrol hours to our neighbor. That's going to be a challenge. But could you have purchasing you know, agreements? Can you like consolidate? Cert- there are options there that the Republicans want to look for to see. They want to see, in their mind, reforms, changes to make this more palatable to a huge, and I mean a huge increase in this aid. Republicans also acknowledge there's a problem that we we helped create, Republicans and Democrats too, over the years where shared revenue has been flat for so long and been cut, costs are going up, counties and cities face caps of property taxes, they need more revenue, it's time for something to happen. The question is what those foundations look like because what Evers proposes is not the final word. They're right. going to rework it and they get it for the Joint Finance Committee work that process. Which is so interesting because then when we heard from Republicans after the state of the state, specifically about share of revenue, they're like, that's something we've been working on for a very long time. And to us as reporters kind of perks our ears up because it's that's is that going to be the possible compromise? Because typically every budget cycle, at least since Governor Evers has been in office, they rewrite the entire thing. They go line by line and rework it to their liking. Yeah. But are they going to make changes to this? Eh, possibly. They're not going to give him a, a victory per se, but it could be something where they meet in the middle. And the, the governor wanted to do a 4% increase in shared revenue the first year and a 4% the second. This is way bigger than that. And he meant this as, I am embracing your idea. Right. Republicans were like, you know, you're taking our idea. <laughs> it shows these tension in the capital between the two sides because there's not a lot of trust there over the last four years. All right. And other nuggets that we got mm-hmm. this week deal with veterans and stewardship projects. Just going to list a kind of a few things um, to preview that he's likely to talk about next week. One would add lawmakers' ability to anonymously object to stewardship projects. It would also repeal the requirement that all projects north of Highway 64 be subject to a legislative review. Also would increase the eligibility for property tax credits for veterans, surviving spouses, boost veteran mental health services, make uh, affordable housing more affordable for veterans, investments in clean energy, jobs. I mean, the list goes on and on. This is, of course, in addition to what we've heard the governor talk about already, that he wants a middle-income tax. Uh, He's likely going to put uh, uh, marijuana um, legalization in his budget, expanding budget care. So the list goes on and on of what he's likely to talk about. But these are some of the new ones of the tidbits he gave this week about stewardship projects and veterans. And the stewardship, not going to happen. So Republicans are not going to agree to limiting their ability to review stewardship projects. They are not, so Northern Wisconsin Republicans in particular are not happy about the amount of land that is being put aside for stewardship for conservation because it limits the amount of property available for development, for the property tax base. So everything you take off the rolls, it puts a higher burden to everybody else. So they're not going to give up that whole thing about requiring review of North of 64. They're also not going to double the the threshold. This is the governor sending more of a message to his supporters. I am fighting for you, environmental groups, unhappy about how joint finance is operated. I am there for you, even though I know this is not going to happen in the final budget. Uh, some things that I'm watching for that I haven't heard yet from the governor, um, going back to his inaugural address in State of the State, is fentanyl crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, also, haven't really heard him talk much about police reform. Now, we know Attorney General Josh Call created that Safer Wisconsin Act that Evers, of course, was behind in the midterms, but that's too th- 
topics that I've heard from Republicans that they're kind of, you know, leaving their hands open saying, haven't really heard him address that yet. So that's something also we'll be watching for of maybe things that he doesn't touch on in his speech on Wednesday. All right, let's move on to other things that happened this week. Uh, the president was in town. He was in the Dane County area, which he was just north of Madison in DeForest, and he was promoting his economic plan, which just came a day after his kind of contentious State of the State of Union address, where there were some Republicans, uh, um, I guess, a little vocal um, during parts of his speech. Um, but he was here and, you know, kind of just stressed the importance of him coming to the battleground state as he considers uh, a possible 2024 reelection bid. Now, his uh, people that I spoke to say he announcement is coming soon. So he's kind of just getting out there and trying to connect with the American people. Now, of course, there's always backlash from the Republican Party when these visits come. I'm just going to read a quote, a quick quote from Ronna McDaniel, the Republican National Committee chair. Chair, She said Biden's victory lap is out of touch with American families who are struggling to keep up with Biden's failed economy. Before we get into a little bit more about this topic, let's just hear from some of the president's remarks. We're building an economy where no one's going to be left behind. My economic plan is about investing in places, people that have been forgotten. As part of that plan, I talked last night about things we're going to do for families. Just a little more breathing. Just give my, my dad just a little more breathing room. At the end of the month, when everything's paid, you have just a little more breathing room. We're going to lower the cost of everyday products for you all. And we're talking, taking on what we call junk fees. Those hidden surcharges businesses use to make you pay more. Here in Madison, American tell you we're using the funding to buy 46 electric buses, replacing dirty diesel buses. They're bad health for the environment. Each of these projects means jobs for laborers, plumbers, pipefitters, electricians, carpenters, cement masons, iron workers, and so many more. These are good jobs, jobs you can raise a family on. You heard him talk a lot about the Inflation Inflation Reduction Act, the American Rescue Plan, just talking about and touting how this has led to uh, job creation and how inflation is beginning to ease. Um, but one thing that he did note in his speech is he took a swipe at Republican Senator Ron Johnson for his comments regarding Medicare and Social Security. Now, Ron Johnson has suggested that Congress should approve those two programs instead of them being automatically renewed each year. This was also something that we saw Mandela Barnes trying to hit him uh, on the campaign trail. Um, the Ron Johnson's office in a statement said the president is lying about me. And he's also been kind of making a media blitz about this, that, um, you know, Social Security, there's clips of him going around of him calling uh, these two programs Ponzi schemes. So uh, we've talked before, I'm not the biggest uh, fan of presidential visits being newsworthy. They're basically pep rallies. Uh, there's a chance for the president to talk to voters directly in a swing state like Wisconsin. Worth noting, his numbers, the Marquette poll in the fall, weren't great. Right. There are lots of great things happening in the economy. Unemployment is low. Inflation is coming down. It's still elevated. There are worries about a recession. There's a very bad number for, uh, uh, for Biden this week that people feel not as well off now compared to four years ago. That's what he has to address. Or two years ago when he was elected, that's what he has to address the next two years. This is teeing up a reelection bid. He needs to get people feeling better about themselves economically going forward. And a message we're here in this campaign is going to be about he's the one to protect Social Security and Medicaid, Medicare. Um, Ron Johnson has become a foil for him. Yesterday afternoon, the White House tweeted out a clip of Ron Johnson on the radio, again calling Social Security a Ponzi scheme, a legal Ponzi scheme. He said that many times going back to his first campaign in 2010. And he is 
So he basically, you put money in to take it out. Like it's, it, and he said it may have been better off. We privatized it, you know, years ago. Um, Ron Johnson keeps pushing back on the notion he wants to get rid of these programs or cut these programs. But you're seeing the president seize upon Ron Johnson and Senator Scott from Florida as foils about these are big, bad Republicans who want to cut your programs you care about. I'm the defender. I'm the one leading us back from COVID. I'm the one getting his low unemployment. I'm the one these great things. So that's part of the, the campaign message you're going to see. Yeah, and Medicare was a big highlight mm-hmm. of the State of the Union address. Uh, um, some Republicans called him a liar, that there's a proposals out there that seek to cut the program um, and revamp it completely. And he's kind of trying to capitalize on that moment. And that's exactly why he, he even showed up. It was like a piece of paper of Ron Johnson's direct quote about uh, Medicare and Social Security. So he's he was off to Florida. He mentioned it again. So it's something like he mentioned uh, he'll be talking about for quite some time. But... Like you also talked about poll numbers. Uh, it was a poll that by the AP that came out right before a State of the Union address. 85% of Americans, a vast majority, uh, feel that the country is not doing well right now mm-hmm. under his leadership. And there's a lot of Democrats that are still hesitant if they want to. They don't really want to see him run for a second term. But who's going to be that person that makes a you know a contentious uh, Democratic primary? Um, kind of just remains to be seen if other people will step into the field. So that is 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all right, let's get into just one just update people. There's a lot of new jobs uh, that people are seeking, some former lawmakers and some people that used to work for the Evers administration. Um, Let's first start with Mandela Barnes. Of course, he lost um, against Ron Johnson in the midterms, and now he is launching the Long Run PAC. He's using the leftover campaign funds that he had in hopes to um, kind of I think it was quote unquote um, help people like the little guys like mm-hmm. me, um, uh, you know, go up against these big spending groups because, as we know, the U.S. Senate race was one of the most expensive um, across the country. Uh, Preston Cole is now uh, at the Department of Administration for the City of Milwaukee. He was the former DNR chair or secretary, excuse me. And then Kirsten Johnson is now going to lead the Wisconsin Department of Health Services. She used to work in the Milwaukee County Health Department. And former Congressman Ron Kind is now going to be a policy advisor, quote unquote lobbyist for a Washington-based group called Arnold and Porter. So a lot of switch up here at JR. Uh, worth noting with Mandela Barnes, he's not taking a paid position with the PAC. He's trying to help others. He had about $565,000 in campaign cash left over end of 2022. Added some bills, still pay about two hundred seventy grand, roughly, if I remember correctly. So, But there's a nice nest egg to help. The question becomes, is this going to be all about others or about maybe helping him down the road? Remember Russ Feingold? some years ago, created a group after he left office. It became basically a campaign of waiting for him in 2016. Got a lot of grief for that. So it's worth watching how Mandela uses this uh, pack going forward. Uh, other than that, uh, with Johnson, big question is, she's the third DHS secretary that Evers has had. Mm-hmm. None has received a confirmation vote yet. Will she get a hearing? and a vote for the GOP-controlled state Senate. Well, I will say she's probably coming in at a much better time yes. than the other secretaries <laughs> because the COVID pandemic is a little bit behind yes. us at this point. Uh, so hopefully the job's a little bit easier <laughs> right now. Um, also want to bring up a series of voting bills that have been introduced by Republicans. And we're kind of talking about this topic, of course, because early voting went underway on Tuesday as we inch closer to the February 21st primary. And here's just kind of a recap of what some of these Republican bills would do. One would require pe- felons to pay fines, court fees before the 
their voting rights are restored. Another one would verify an individual's citizenship on the voter registration list. Another one would create an absentee ballot text message confirmation system. As we know, there's been Republicans that have criticized uh, absentee ballots um, throughout the years. Uh, Another one would create whistleblower protections for clerks who witness and report election fraud or irregularities. Now, um, very unlikely the governor uh, would support of these. Uh, We know last year he vetoed a series Mm -hmm. of Republican-authored election bills. He, quote-unquote, said it would make it more harder for people to vote. He wants to make it more easier. And also interesting, I reached out to all the bill sponsors uh, on these bills, and no Republicans have wanted to talk about them. I've even tried to get some statements. Um, You know, still some have not gotten back to me yet, uh, specifically about the absentee ballot text messaging confirmation system. But you know, it's really kind of red meat uh, to jazz up their base, and they're still just trying to do something to kind of, I guess, get over their frustrations um, from the 2020 election cycle. The one to track your absentee ballot maybe has the best shot. Right. It does not seem like it's a big expense or challenge, for from the bill authors have described the co-sponsorship memo to get that done. The one that's least likely is requiring felons to pay all their fines, everything else. Uh, Democrats call that a pull tax. The court in Florida upheld that requirement down there, but there's no way a government is going to sign a bill like that. Right. And also early voting numbers this week. Um, Jar, I know you looked into this. The spring primary um, compared to last year, it's, it's so up a little bit, right? Up, but not so much uh, compared when you look at down from February so of 21. So the request for absentee ballots up compared to last year. Now, last year, there was not a statewide race in the ballots. Right. So there's an obvious reason for that. Down, though, compared to 2021. The big difference, though, is you know, we're kind of like out of the COVID pandemic. Now, granted, COVID is still around. It's an issue for people, but we still have COVID restrictions in place in many communities in 2021. Now we don't have any, I believe, in Wisconsin. We're getting more tor- back to normal. So, you know, it's, it's something to watch the interest in this race and how the Supreme Court drives turnout. Could we see a huge boost compared to years past? the spring. Something we'll keep an eye on. And also this week, Republicans officially launched an audit into DSPS, uh, which is the Department of Safety and Professional Services, over their licensing delays and just kind of want to look in some of their staffing mm-hmm. issues. Now, it's important to know that DSPS um, has dealt with very outdated systems for a very long time. I believe some of them date back to 1997. They did get some money for some system upgrades, but during the pandemic, they basically got exasperated. They didn't have enough people in the call center. They didn't have enough people, which led to people waiting weeks, months. I haven't talked to some people last year that had to wait almost two years to get their license approved. So this is not a new issue, but Republicans are officially saying, all right, we want auditors to go in and see what's really the cause behind a lot of these problems. DSPS has made some changes, like I mentioned, and some reforms, but each time they've asked for additional staff, they haven't always gotten what Mm -hmm. they've asked for. It's usually, you know, for example, I think they're asking for 16 positions this year. Um, We'll see what joint finance approves. In years past, they've asked for 10 uh, I believe it was 10 positions last budget season. They only got two part-time individuals and one person full-time around those numbers. Uh, don't quote me specifically on that. But it's, it just goes to show that they keep asking for more. But joint finance is like, we're not going to give you all that you need, which is not you know unusual. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what at least is a DSPS argument, that we just need more hands on deck. But the backlog seems to be getting better, according to the interim secretary right now. A couple things going on. One, there is a segment of the Republican Party that does not want to give DSPS more because they want to regulate less. They want to have fewer licenses, have a simpler process, less restrictions or barriers, people getting these licenses to cut hair, to do, I think there are 240 occupations agency regulates or have licenses Correct. for. 
they just don't agree philosophically with that. So the problems the AG has bolsters their argument of, this is a broken system, let's reform it by cutting down how much we require. There's that issue going on. Two, DISPUS has built up a surplus. It is funded not through state tax dollars, but through the fees ish levied on people who get licenses. Yeah, it's $47 million surplus they have. They can't spend it without legislative approval. Mm-hmm. So that's holding them back. And the things improved when Evers used federal money from COVID-19 to kind of help uh, do various things. The secretary this week, not been confirmed yet, um, announced a partnership with a group to try and help those to track their educational credentials and requirements stuff to help them out. Um, during a hearing yesterday, uh, Shea Sortwell, a, a Republican from Two Rivers, chairs the Assembly Committee, frequent critic of the agency. There's been night and day better with Harith there versus Dawn Krim, who was not a fan favorite with Republicans over how she ran the agency. There are signs that are getting better for them. The question is still, what Republicans do in this budget to allow them to spend those resources to add staff? The Republicans aren't happy that we're, they're still in a hybrid work model, i.e. people are working from home still with the agency. Republicans are like, look, we're well past this COVID-19 thing. Get butts back in seats right. in state buildings. Let's get away from this hybrid model. That's a rub for them. We'll see how that all plays out in the budget process. Yeah, and Democrats kind of uh, criticized this audit mm-hmm. um, kind of in two parts. They believe that while auditors are there, it's going to be taken away from pro- productivity that, you know, someone's not going to be in the call center being answering calls because they're talking to auditors. Uh, so they tried to push for the co-chairs of the audit committee to try to have some plan in place before they approve this audit to just make sure there wouldn't be any delays. That, of course, was never approved by Republicans. Um, let's just uh, hear a little bit from Republicans um, about why they wanted to really get into the weeds about this audit and just from some Democrats kind of defending that they don't think it's going to be the best uh, choice of time, especially when we don't even know what the budget looks like. So let's take a listen for both sides. We have way too many people waiting way too long for licenses. Uh, we need to understand uh, what the issues are and get this resolved. This is keeping workers away from us. We need to look at the reciprocity. And the Legislative Audit Bureau is designed to work with us uh, to get uh, down to the causes of of why these things are happening so that we can take action moving forward. Well, I think one of the problems that we're going to see when they do an audit of this agency is they're already short-staffed. And they're actually doing now an IT program that they're just getting implementing. So the more time we take people off of getting those licenses to ask these questions, the more we're going to have to wait for those licenses to be granted. I think that we need to get the SPS the positions that they need so that they can do this critical work for the state of Wisconsin. And after that, and once we start to see how this new computer system works out, then let's do an audit to figure out how it's going or what else can be done. I will also continue to advocate for the ability to use resources that will build our capacity. As our call center experience shows, more people can do more work. And I want more employees doing more work for the people of Wisconsin. As you know, we are a program revenue agency. We operate with the fees we collect from our customers and we receive no general fund tax dollars for our operations. We currently have healthy reserves that I would like to invest in our processes to continue to build that capacity so that we can do our statutorily required work more quickly and efficiently. So in the scope statement that was approved by Republicans uh, on the committee, auditors, um, some ideas that they floated is that they'll investigate complaints from applicants, they'll address kind of the staffing levels, how many people are there, and the average wait time people um, are having to wait to get their license approved. I know some Democrats also asked, you know, can you look at 
uh, this state agency and how other states are performing as well. So those are just some of the highlights mm-hmm. that, that auditors will be responsible for. All right, let's get to stock picks this week. Rising is a lot of money, okay. as predicted, in the state Supreme Court race. So you know I love my spreadsheets, uh, looking through reports and filings. As of this morning, I've tracked about $6 million in paid media and independent expenditures in the Supreme Court race. To give you context for that, we are still more than a week away from the primary. The spending record for an entire campaign, the entire thing, is $9.8 million from group and candidates. That includes candidate spending on, like, staff, you know, fundraisers. This is just what you're seeing on the air. The national record for a single Supreme Court race, single seat, is $15 million in Illinois in 2004. We are going to blow past that and then some. And what's interesting, what's going on, the decisions being made by groups spending in the race. On the liberal side, you have a Better Wisconsin Together, which is doing attack ads against Jennifer Doro. There are two reasons why they're doing that, people tell me. One is there's a perception that Jennifer Doro is a stronger candidate in the general election than Daniel Kelly. Kelly is on the court for four years, lost in 2020. Granted, he's on the ballot same time as the 2020 presidential primary, drove Democratic turnout. He lost by 10 points. That's going to hang around his neck in a general election where people are going to go, well, he's already lost one time. So Doro gets this kind of like buzz of she's got something different. Well, you're spending more than a million dollars attacking her on light sentences she gave out and people she defended while she was a public defense, uh, a criminal defense attorney. That does two things for you. One, if you combine that attack with the $1.8 million that Fair Courts America is spending to elevate Daniel Kelly, you could get Kelly through the primary. If you, that doesn't happen and Doral gets through, you're attacking the foundation of her campaign right now while voters are going to know her of she's running as a tough-on-crime judge. Here are ads saying she's not tough on crime. In fact, she has coddled criminals and she has re- represented people who've done horrible things. With Protosewitz, the reason they're going after now, uh, you have WMC, Wisconsin Manufacturers of Commerce, Issues Mobilization Council. They're doing the same ad that Wisconsin Alliance for Reform is doing. Basically, it's a different disclaimer, same content. Goes after Protosewitz about a uh, sentence she gave out to a person who raped a teenager. Um, they realize she's probably getting through the primary. They are going after now to start. Why wait for the general election to right. start the general election? Mm-hmm. Going after that way. So that's what's going on. Now for Kelly and Doro, the math is basically the same as it was for Michaels and Clayfish in the GOP governor's primary back in August. The whole perception of that race was that Rebecca Clayfish, she'd run the score in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee media market, and that would take her to the nomination. Tim Michaels, though, held, didn't win Milwaukee, but got close enough that his superior resources allowed him to run it up statewide. That's what we're going to watch in this primary. It's four people, two get out. which is spending the most. She's probably going to get the most liberal vote. What happens in Michaels and Clayfish? And to give you an indication of just how important this race is nationally, Emily's List, which supports female candidates who back abortion rights, endorsed which this week. It has never in its 38 years, backed a state judicial candidate. Right. That tells you the national attention on this race and what is going to come and why I'm confident in saying we will eclipse a $15 million record for a state Supreme Court race in national history. All right, I'll hold you to it okay. right here. You heard it first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, mixed this week is Milwaukee because of what we've talked about the beginning of this show, of how they're going to qualify specifically to get this possible mm-hmm. 1% sales tax or how the shared revenue is actually really going to benefit them. So there's been a big question Will Milwaukee get the 1%, right? Initial 1% sales tax. I'm getting the feeling Republicans are okay with it right now, with the caveat of 
what does Milwaukee have to do to qualify for that money? So again, I think the, my impression is the sales tax increase for other counties, for the 30 largest cities, not gonna ha- or 25 largest cities, not gonna happen because Milwaukee has unique problems. They are in part a creation of their own bad decisions. It's all related to the pension system. So Republicans, one, want to see this 1% uh, sales tax, if approved, go toward fixing the pension problem. It's not going to cover all of it. It is a deep problem. There's a fiscal cliff coming for the city, for example, where its payments in the pension program go up dramatically. One problem for Milwaukee is that police and fire, for example, account for less than, I think, 34% of their overall um, workforce. They account for 80% of the city's payment, the pension fund. What's driving that is Act 10 was authored by Scott Walker, who by Republicans 12 years ago, did not include police and fire. By doing that, they've allowed police and fire to continue to collectively bargain. And they've been able to get more and more generous benefits than what the other workers have. You're not going to see Republicans call for Act 10 being imposed on police and fire. Tony Evers is not going to sign doing something like that. So what's Milwaukee got to do? I'm hearing that there's going to be a they're working on an idea of a memorandum of understanding of what Milwaukee has to do if they get this money. It'll have to go toward sales tax, go toward the pension problem. Other things about spending on public safety. Republicans are going to want assurances Milwaukee, in their minds, spends it more wisely. Now, the local officials define wisely differently than the Republicans do, but Republicans want assurances they're going to make better decisions how they spend their money. Watch that debate, how it goes forward, what Milwaukee has to do. It's unique. It's going to get this probably going to get this sales tax, but it's going to have to do things to qualify for that money that may not be pleasant for it or the way that it would spend that money given its brothers. Like you said, they're not just going to write them a blank check no. and just give it to them. They're going to have to show and prove how they can reform their systems first. All right. And following this week, we got a few seconds, is food share benefits because those enhanced benefits during COVID and pa- pandemic aid have, are soon to end. They're 95 bucks a month, which may not sound like a lot, but look, during uh, inflation, what's going mm-hmm. on, it helps. These families are low-income, disabled, people out of work. Um, that ends end of this month and goes away. The average household, I think there are 300,000 households in the program right now, are getting about 300 bucks a month. That's a big chunk to lose that money. All right, that will do it for this week. We'll see you next week. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. Take care. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.